Hello, hello, and welcome to Art Pop Talk. I'm Bianca. And I'm Gianna. Bianca, can you believe Art Pop Talk is celebrating its first birthday today? (laughs) I cannot believe we have been at this for a full year now. I think it means that we are official podcasters, if I can declare us that myself. Well, today we've got lots of art news to catch up on, and in the second half of today's episode, we're finally closing out award season recaps with an art pop talk about this weekend's Oscars. All right, Gianna, we are officially kicking off year two of APT. Let's go. Hello, my dear. Today is a... (laughs) beautiful day in Oklahoma. It's a freaking windy day here. Yeah. We're getting ready for hot girl summer. The sun is shining. The tank is clean. It's Art Pop Talk's first birthday, and it's our parents' 30th wedding anniversary today as well. So very happy anniversary to mom and dad. Uh, Because our last couple of episodes were interviews, I feel like it's actually been a little bit since you and I have been able to sit down together. Bianca, how you doing? Yeah, no, I was thinking the same thing when we were prepping for this episode. I was just like, I don't know what to talk to you about. Like, I feel like I like haven't talked to you for the past few weeks, just catching up on just normal, normal stuff just outside the podcast. But yeah, I got my second shot. So that feels really good. Um, So that means I'm about a week out from being fully vaccinated um and you just said hot girl summer and it reminded me that i've been seeing all these memes about like pfizer girls versus moderna girls and pfizer girls are gonna have that hot girl summer um but you got moderna right gianna yes uh i did get moderna is that bad i don't know at least it wasn't johnson and johnson (laughs) johnson and johnson (laughs) No, it's not bad, but I'm just seeing all these like funny memes about like what vaccine did you get? But then Dolly Parton, you know, funded your vaccine. So are you going to have a hot girl summer because Dolly funded your vaccine? It's just really funny. And I was listening to some podcasts about being like, that's the new get to know you question. And so I was like, maybe on APT, our interview question should be, (laughs) which vaccine did you get? That's, I don't know. It's so weird because it's like, ah, yes, disclose your medical information to me. (laughs) No, I know. It's just weird because whenever you go in for your flu shot or any other normal shots that you get as a human being in this life, it's, um, I have never known what is being injected into my body. I just go and now it's like, well, what did you get? What, what kind of medicine do you have? And it's just, it feels very strange. Hmm. But I hope we're both in for a hot girl summer. That's because neither of us got J and J. No, I'm just kidding. Get vaccinated, everybody. <laughs> yeah, but like PSA, we have a little bit of options, so you know, choose wisely. <laughs> um, I feel like a busy woman these days. Instead of bus club, another club bus, no sleep. It's more like. <laughs> Commute 30 minutes to work, job interview, another interview, commute, actually work on art after a year. No sleep. No, I'm really excited that you've been working on this new commission. Oh, yeah, it's been a good time. Mama's tired, but we're hanging in there. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, it has been a year of APT. So before we get into our news stories for the day, Gianna and I just wanted to take a moment and say how much we appreciate all of you listening. We started the podcast literally knowing nothing about how to create or produce a podcast and just to see how we've grown and evolved over the past year and to be able to talk with you all about the things we're passionate about has been um, really amazing and I'm just really grateful for it. So that being said, we are a self-funded podcast and while we love being able to do that, this is something we put a lot of really hard work into. So we do have a Buy Me a Coffee account that can be found in our link tree bio across all of our social media. It can be found on our website. So at our Buy Me a Coffee, you can donate any funds if you like our content. This is not a subscription. It's just a way for you to support the show so that we can keep providing you lots of good things. And if you can't donate monetarily, please go on Apple Podcasts and rate us, leave us a review, and tell your friends to listen. I mean, it really just means a lot to have more people listening and forming a community and growing each and every week. So happy birthday, APT. Happy birthday, yours truly. Happy birthday, happy birthday. Ooh. (laughs) I love a good birthday party. Yeah, birthday party. I wish we could actually have one, but that's okay. Your, you know, your two will be, will be our year. We'll have a, <laughs> have a rager for APT. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Anyways, for today we don't have just one, but two art new segments. Bianca, would you mind starting us off for your segment today? <laughs> Yes, I have been waiting a few weeks to talk about this one. So, Gianna, it's actually good that we, and honestly, it's crazy we haven't talked about it yet. You and I just haven't talked about this at all. So, while today we are wrapping things up on award season, this is the show that we've really been interested in this whole time. And like the Emmys, the VMAs, the Oscars have all just been mere musings if you will for us during covid because finally apt is going to get to cover the met gala because we got an update if you don't know why the met gala happens annually it is a fundraiser for the metropolitan museum of arts costume institute they usually take place in may and obviously the 2020 gala was canceled and this year we are still not through the pandemic. I don't know if any of you guys have realized that. But it won't be taking place next weekend because of this. However, we did get an announcement that this event will return on Monday, September 13th, 2021, pending government and CDC guidance. The theme for the next two Met Galas has seemingly been set. So they'll be honoring American fashion, and the Met has a two-part American fashion exhibition that's upcoming. Part one is In America, a Lexicon of Fashion. It will debut this coming September, hopefully. 
It will honor the Costume Institute's 75th anniversary and explore a modern American fashion. Then in 2022, part two in America, an anthology of fashion will showcase American fashion development. And the exhibit that the gala is celebrating will feature, quote, designs by pioneers of American sportswear that will be displayed alongside works by a diverse group of contemporary designers. So, Jen, I have an upcoming question for you about how this will translate to red carpet fashion. Andrew Bolton is the curator in charge of the Costume Institute, and they said in a statement, quote, over the past year, because of the pandemic, the connections to our homes have become more emotional, as have those to our clothes. For American fashion, this has meant an increased emphasis on sentiment over practicality. Responding to this shift, part one of the exhibition will establish a modern vocabulary of American fashion based on the expressive qualities of clothing as well as a deeper association with issues of equity, diversity, and inclusion. Part two will further investigate the evolving language of American fashion through a series of collaborations with American film directors who will visualize the unfinished stories inherent in the Met's period rooms. End quote. The in America, a lexicon of fashion exhibition will illustrate a shifting emphasis in American fashion defined by the feelings of fear, delight, comfort, anxiety, well-being, loneliness, happiness, belonging, self-reflection, and self-representation amongst other qualities, according to the Institute's statement. The past few years, we've gotten camp, notes on fashion, that was from 2019, and before that, Heavenly Bodies was 2018, and I was fortunate enough to see both of those shows at the Met. Um, You know, camp really blew me away, and I'll be excited to return to hopefully see these two shows, and I I hope that it's really going to be kind of this first major response that we get at a major art institution that kind of relates our lived experiences of COVID. So um, I think that'll be be interesting. Now, looking forward to these two, it appears that we're getting two Met Galas to coincide with the show's two parts. The Institute announced that this year's gala would be more, quote, intimate compared to past events. I suppose that's all we can ask for. Presumably due to, of course, the ongoing pandemic. The institution has not released details on how many people are coming to the September event, but um, I'm definitely excited to see where we go from here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's also not confirmed yet, but Amanda Gorman is looking like she'll also be the 2021 host for the Met Gala, and Tom Ford might be the Mm -hmm. co-host. Camp was such a good theme. I don't know how I feel about another theme moving forward because camp was so good. And um, it was also the last one we had, and we didn't know that the gala when we had camp was going to go out with a bang, so to speak. We didn't know right. it was going to be the last one. Uh, we could not foresee COVID. So, uh, of course, 
you know, the gala moving forward is going to be a more intimate affair and that's the right way to go about it. However, mm-hmm. it will be interesting to see what select people will be there and what looks oh, they'll be serving. Yes, the selection of people is going to be fascinating. Yeah, interessant. Like, I mean, it always is. But also I think that goes to, I was going to ask you about Amanda Gorman. I mean, what a year this girl has had to have spoken at the inauguration and then to be a co-host of the Met Gala. I'm just, I'm really curious, you're right, about who is going to be there in yeah, such a small Yeah, let's just say, affair. like, I don't, I don't think, like, James Charles will be there again, but. No, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> So, also, Gianna, I was wondering, I mean, what kind of looks do you think we're going to get on the red carpet? Because I'm thinking it's a very American fashion. Theme. It is, but so, I mean, I guess so is, I don't know. Because I'm thinking like streetwear, COVID wear. I mean, they're talking about comfortability and loneliness. Like, I mean, just to say we all invested in a new pair of sweatpants this past year. So are we like, what? I mean, what I are will we say see? One, one thing that I hope I will see is like, to really take the mask to a full extent and really kind of push the boundaries of the mask. I mean, that was something that was really happening in the art world. I mean, especially in a sculptural sense, there were a lot Mm -hmm. of competitions going on about creating a mask and uh, this event is very performative. So I I would be surprised if that is not um, a part of what's going on. Yeah. And we also saw that, I mean, we didn't talk too much about the Grammys, but mask fashion was also really interesting at the Grammys. You know, we talked about it with Lady Gaga at the VMAs, of course, but mm-hmm. like Taylor Swift's matching floral mask to her dress and just how masks yeah. have become a part of high fashion and completing an outfit for <laughs> designer wear. And I will say it's interesting in the sense of American fashion because masks is something that has been new for us in this mm. pandemic, whereas so in other countries that has already been kind of taken over by fashion and done different things with it mm-hmm. um so that's new to us so you know it's a i don't know if that plays into the history if that's more a contemporary thing for us but we'll see it's a broad theme but you yeah. know something juicy is about to happen and we love to see that i love some museum juice museum ready to juice. get back into some museum juice I have a short art news segment today, and I thought it would be fun to talk about, and it's about Roxanne Gay, um, who's getting into art collecting. On our first episode of APT, we introduced Roxanne Gay and her book, Bad Feminist, because that's a resource we refer to often um, in our practice and having an interest in feminist theory and translating that into art and history. So there was an interview that she did with Artnet called author Roxanne Gay, who loves art but dislikes the art world, has some advice for galleries. Stop being terrible. And I'm going to pull out some things I thought were interesting from the interview. But before I do so, I think it's so interesting that collecting is a recent passion and experience for her. She was exposed to arts and culture at an early age. And of course, the literary arts is something she gravitated towards more. But I have a question I'm just going to kind of throw out there. Like, does she know that she has made an impact on the arts? Like, yeah, like she is an esteemed writer and is 
so iconic and she is obviously like aware of the weight that she carries in academia and the influence that she has Mm -hmm. otherwise like you know then why is she doing this interview for artnet but like does she know (laughs) that like contemporary feminist works of art had stemmed from her contribution to feminist theory so her wife is a woman named debbie millman who is an artist, an educator, writer, and a designer, and who happens to also be a, uh, a podcast host of a platform called Design Matters. So she probably does to some extent, but it's just me being like so in awe of her and like mm-hmm. fangirling over her and the impact she's made on me. Like, does she know? You know, like I want her to know. Yeah, I'm just thinking about Debbie, you know, a close personal colleague of ours in the podcasting world. (laughs) Ah, yes. (laughs) And I actually listened to a Keep It interview with Roxane Gay because Roxane Gay has a master class out that you can take. And she was talking about her wife and how they met, how Debbie had this kind of exact same experience that you're describing, like a fangirl type reaction to Roxanne and how she is so supportive and amazing but also kind of found Roxanne as this inspirational figure that you and I also view her as and Roxanne in the interview talked about how you know she doesn't really see herself that way she kind of has a hard time sometimes like separating her work how her work is so foundational to some of our thinkings and clearly Mm -hmm. our artworks and things like that but Roxanne talked about the struggle to be like oh what like you know it's just it's just what I thought that day or whatever you know <laughs> what it would be like to be and her <laughs> how Roxanne herself is such a she is she's a whole person and she, she was talking about this experience where she feels like you know people just know her for bad feminist or hunger or whatever mm-hmm. and how it's kind of like we isolate these works but Gianna, to your point, that's how sometimes we view artists. That's how we view the art world is we we see visual artists and celebrities and write and you know, public figures just as this monument to their work. But to yeah. answer your question, I don't think she does know because she talked about that mm-hmm. struggle with kind of separating herself as a human being from her production. Yeah, yeah, very interesting stuff. Um, But in this interview, they talk about things like gatekeeping, not only in the art world, but the literary world, uh, intimidating environments created in museums and gallery spaces, Mm -hmm. uh, microaggressions that she has experienced trying to collect art, and points out disparities within museum collections and curatorial processes. Um, It's a great interview, so please give it a read. I'm going to link it in our resources. But... There is a portion of this interview where she talks about how art has impacted her, and I really just wanted to share that today, kind of as a reverse for someone who has impacted the arts and us to see it from her perspective. Mm -hmm. So the interviewer, who is Nor Barrera, asks Roxanne, you have spoken about how artists like Kara Walker and Julie Maritou have managed to inform your own creative process as a writer. In an interview, you said that you love how Walker prioritizes black bodies and highlights in your own words the absurdity of some of the things that black bodies have been subjected to. You also said that her work challenges you. I'm wondering how exactly on both a personal and creative level. Roxanne responds, Well, I think her work is very provocative and very interesting. 
She works in caricature and she revels in the grotesqueries of racism. And I love that she is willing to take risks that black artists for many years were reluctant to do because their entry into the art world was so precarious and so tenuous that they could not take those kinds of risks. There are plenty of black artists, to be clear, who have taken risks throughout art history, but she does it in a really cheeky way. There's a lot of wit to her work. They are funny to critique, but she really goes for it, and I admire that about her. It certainly encourages me to go for it in the kinds of things that I do. The next question being, you also say that art doesn't ask you to just react, but to move towards something different. What exactly did you mean by that? She responds, I think ideally art makes you want to learn more about whatever the artist is doing and seek out other art. I think good art can be more of a door to other things than a closed room. The last question I wanted to bring up in the interview was, can you think of a time when a visual artwork move you towards something different? Oddly enough, the artwork that really moved me towards something different was a piece by Jenny Seville at the Broad in Los Angeles. I can't remember the name, but it was a piece of a glorious fat woman, and I love seeing that kind of body on art canvas, taking up so much space in the gallery. It was prominently featured and hung really well. That just made me think, yeah, you don't actually have to hide your body. It was a celebration, and rarely do we see fat tolerance, but we don't see fat celebration. So it just reshaped some of my thinking around fat bodies. So the piece she is talking about is called uh, Propped, which is a piece we've talked about on the podcast, I believe, for Art News, um, as it broke a record for Sotheby's in 2018, and it marked a record rate for any living female artist at auction. Mm. So really fun piece. Yeah, that's awesome. I kind of love that we're bringing it back to Roxane Gay on APT's birthday, because we talked about it in our first, we talked about her in our first episode, like you said. Yeah, and there's just so much to this interview. I mean, she does talk about a really, a couple different interesting stories and her experiences Mm -hmm. buying art and experiencing those microaggressions and, um, you know, walking into a space and saying, I'm here to pick up an artwork. And one of the people replies, for who? You know, like, right. And she tells a story and and generally it was a misunderstanding, but I think there are microaggressions at play there. Yeah. And she also talks about other things that, I thought were fun we've mentioned on the podcast like I love Seth Rogen's pottery yeah and (laughs) Seth Rogen is one of the only white male artists that she has work in her uh, (laughs) private collection and it was really cool the way that she was talking about him Uh, like I think it was a really vulnerable thing for him to make this kind of artwork and to branch out of what he's known for and do something else and uh, she talks about how he really is such a skilled ceramicist and uh, I just love that That out of all the like white men she could have in her collection I love that it's Seth Rogen but let's be honest if anyone was going to own a white man's piece of art I think Seth Rogen is definitely the way to go oh yeah like (laughs) I would love to sit down and have a conversation with Roxanne Gay and Seth Rogen. Stop. Stop. That would be We're going to manifest that energy into the world today. (laughs) Oh, let's make a birthday wish. Birthday wish. Blow out the candle. We're blowing out the manifested birthday (laughs) candle energy that we're seeing today. And I just want to put out to the APT 
gods and goddesses that we need Roxanne Gay and Seth Rogen to come on the podcast. I mean, at the end of the day, I really just have a big fat crush on both of them. So Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just putting that out there. But. All right, everyone, we are going to take a brief break. And when we come back, we're going to get into the 2021 Oscars. Art pop talk about the Oscars now? Indeed, I do think it's time. We are getting into the highlights and moments from this year's 93rd Academy Awards. We have covered most of the big award shows from 2020 into 2021, starting with the MTV Music Video Awards, Emmys, the Golden Globes, and I think we might have talked about the Grammys a bit, but since that was over spring break, we took a little hiatus during that time, Mm. which is kind of a shame because that was honestly my favorite Grammys ever and (laughs) maybe my favorite award show from award season uh, this this time around, but... Mm -hmm. uh, But the Oscars definitely carry a lot of weight when it does come to awards. I mean, the Golden Globes is basically just there to help instigate Oscar buzz, I feel as though. (laughs) And as we saw the Golden Globes pay out this year, it's all just a bunch of silliness anyhow. Yeah, I I definitely agree, but I'll say it again. I'm not going to be shy about liking award shows. Controversial opinion right there. But I do think the Oscars for me, like they are so glamorous, like they're right up there with the Met Gala just below it. And I think at the Oscars, we we normally get a good show. You know, we normally get some some controversial takes. We get some nice speeches. We get the celebrities are all sitting close to each other. It's just like, you know, I'm, I'm always living for the drama. But, <laughs> you know, alas covid ah <laughs> uh, yes and i wanted to start with our reactions because we weren't entirely sure what this year's oscar was going to look like mm-hmm. so there was a bit of mystery going into it and mm. we are so used to seeing more intimate crowds these days but the oscars select celeb audience was kind of jarring to see transitioning from years past where we are filling up you a huge beautiful theater with countless people to a train station with maskless audience members uh when they opened the show with regina king walking onto the stage uh that intro her look the dress the soft hazy way it was being filmed um the gorgeous art deco building the set I mean, I thought it was really beautiful. Um, I think as far as the simplistic set goes, it just had just enough 
like bouginess to it <laughs> uh, to make for a, a grand and yet intimate ceremony, I suppose. Um, a lot of the recaps I was reading about was describing it as being odd. And I understand why, but I don't know. I didn't really think it was so much as odd as it was just really different conceptually. Um, and it was interesting to read about the set designer this year and how they wanted to take a different artistic direction to help mm-hmm. make sense of the procedures that they were putting in place for COVID. So that was really interesting to read up on. If you have some extra time, I'll link those articles. But um the cinematic vibe was um, pretty instantaneous with Regina King's uh, entrance. Yeah. Uh, I thought, like, she's just the most gorgeous woman in the entire world. But, um, <laughs> Bianca, I'm curious to know what your initial reactions were. I think we both feel similarly in our kind of, like, initial, like, OMG. But I feel as though, holistically, we might have some different opinions. But we do agree that it was basically a bougie ladies' brunch and vibe. Okay, <laughs> 1,000%. Everything to me seemed like a fancy ladies' brunch and for white women reality stars in philanthropy. Like, Why do you <laughs> hate brunch? I love brunch. <laughs> I love brunch, but here's the thing about brunch. I don't want to watch other people have brunch. I want to have my own brunch with my own friends. I don't need to see other people having brunch because what's the point of that? I, brunch is such an experience and I don't want to watch other people experience that. Like living the celebrity high life, that's something I'm never going to experience. But you know what I can do for myself? Like I can fucking have brunch, okay? But if you're having brunch while listening to this podcast, take a sip of your mimosa every time Bianca <laughs> says brunch. Brunch! <laughs> so, okay. Gianna, I have some bullet points here i see i see and i feel as though the thing to do might be going through each of my bullet points because (laughs) i have some hot takes but i want to start regina king stunning the dress I I don't even have words. I mean, come on. What else can you say? She was the star of the show. But she Mm -hmm. also opened up the movie of brunch that was about (laughs) to unfold before us. I would watch a movie about brunch, if I'm being (laughs) honest. Just some ladies talking shit at noon. That's basically what we do here. Like, that's not any different. (laughs) We are a low-budget film, an indie (laughs) film over here. We are not, not the Oscars. So here's the thing. I loved the venue. I mean, I loved the whole opening. I loved Regina King. And she looked great. And and I liked the whole opening because I think, obviously, you have to take a different approach. And here, here's the thing. I've been sitting with it for almost a day now. And you will find that I am on, like, both sides of my own inner working arguments. I have, like, a, you know two Biancas on both of my shoulders arguing for different points. So just bear with me as, you know, I work through this. Okay, bullet point number one here. No masks in the audience, except for Zendaya. Queen Zendaya was wearing her little yellow mask when she was seated. So Regina King, you know, comes out and she's talking to us about how they're treating this like a movie set. You know, there's a cast. They did testing. They did distancing. 
people are vaccinated? Do we know that everybody is vaccinated? I don't know. And I, I get it. And I think when I first saw this, I was really upset. Like I was viscerally angry that they were allowed to not wear masks. But after I've been sitting with it for a day, I think that my reaction was so strong because for over a year now, we've needed to wear a mask to protect everyone, to make all of our communities safer. And I think what the Oscars are doing or or did last night was show us in a way that we are entering a new phase of the pandemic. And while I don't agree with their decision, uh, the other half of me is like, you know, we, we really are kind of hopefully nearing the end of this. And this is what gatherings might look like moving forward, just as we adjusted at the beginning of the pandemic. We are turning a corner here so that guidelines reflect that vaccinated people don't have to be masked, you know, and they obviously decrease the numbers. It was in a different venue. So I, I understand all that. But the other part of me is thinking about how the Oscars set such a precedent for different communities. And I think the optics of it are what made me so mad at first because obviously we know that there are still people out there who think this is all a hoax. States are lightning mask mandates in places that they really shouldn't be. And I think that's the part that still gets me is that this thinking about visual culture shows us an image where it's okay not to wear a mask and just the the gravity that the Oscars does have. I think that's what kind of got me with the no masking is that I really think that they should have been wearing masks just because they they hold those figures hold so much weight. But then at the same time it's like you know, not for the major celebrities that we see every day, but for the costume designers, the hair and makeup people you know, this is a big night for them. And I understand wanting to have kind of a sense of relief for them personally. Like this is a really big moment in in someone else's career who doesn't always have the opportunity to show up on a red carpet like someone like Regina King might. So I don't know. Those are my initial, my first initial thoughts <laughs> about the masks. Yeah. And I definitely agree with all those thoughts absolutely I just I think that it's interesting like from a consumer like perspective that's what I kept thinking of this whole time Mm -hmm. because a lot of movie productions and tv productions what have you were put on hold but then a lot of these films were birthed in the pandemic as well so it's interesting because I and I I liked Regina King's kind of opening statement and and making and kind of informing us why they've made that decision. I think that was obviously important to share. But it's interesting because if if we were to have all these movies be put on hold and have the actors 
not take off their masks while filming, you know, then we wouldn't have these things that we're here to critique at the same time. So it's like, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, it just felt like a huge, almost like a huge hypocrite. Um, I'm never going to understand why it's such a big deal for people to wear a mask, like wear right. a mask. Like, I'm just never going to understand why it's a big deal. Um I think it would have been just as lovely with them wearing a mask. They did at the Grammys. They did at the Grammys, and it was just fine. It was just great. And I was, and now with, as you pointed out, with things being so different, with uh, different protocols for people who are vaccinated, um, you know, that's so wonderful to see that happening. And I, I just, I think we, it's, and it's hard because you have conflicting feelings, such as, okay, we might be nearing the end of this, but then we still do have those great fears that there are still, like, we are very, very fortunate in the United States to have access to vaccinations, but Mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot of countries where that is not the case, and events like this do take a global precedence, and you are correct in saying that. Um, So there there is that that concern as well. it's hard because like from my perspective as like an American consumer, knowing how these films have been produced, like it's like the whole, it's like me even like maybe even consuming any of this is super hypocritical during a pandemic. I don't know. Right. Uh, I also, to that point about just the way that movies have been made. And I think we, you know, we are seeing images of, of kind of sets where the actors are maskless. I mean, house of Gucci where, you know, Gaga's not wearing a mask because she's in costume, but everyone around her, like the the rest of the crew is wearing a mask. And it was like that at the Oscars as well. Yeah, it was like that at the Oscars. But I think it's kind of weird because it, it, I feel like the people who are being shown on screen for the Oscars, even though the Oscars obviously included different crew members and, and, you know, those other figures of, of a movie making that weren't the actors on screen. It like sets this weird hierarchy where the people backstage are like wearing the laborers are wearing masks yes, and the but actors when you're, are not. When you're on screen, you don't have to because what, it's visually pleasing for us at home. I mean, I, that's the thing Which that it, gets that's me. weird. You're right. Because in, in my head, it's just like, I just, I really... I really don't care if you're wearing a mask. Like, that's great. I just, I'm never going to understand why it's a big deal to to wear a mask. Like, it's right. not, it's not taking anything away from my experience, like, watching it like it did at, like, the Grammys. Like, nothing was taken away by them, like, wearing a mask. So I'm just, I'm never going to get why that's, why that's going to be a big deal. It, just because they could do it that way perhaps maybe mean like doesn't mean that they should have done it that way yeah um however like part of me you know I we only know so much and we only know the information that we are given right but I like to think that that was a group of people that I'm on the same page about things with and I believe that a lot of the people in that room understand the seriousness and the realness of this pandemic so Mm -hmm. you know i i I do hope and do believe that all of those people did get proper testing and are vaccinated and there are different Mm -hmm. procedures for that but um yeah yeah it's um it's an interesting situation yeah right right Mm -hmm. so the next bullet point maybe it'll i'll kind of merge two together so i loved the venue i thought the venue was gorgeous and I think Jenny we're talking about the kind of creative minds and the set designer 
of it and I I think they were right to kind of frame it as a movie in that sense with the opening sequence however that kind of got dropped quickly I I don't know like the filming of it looked very professional. It didn't it didn't look like it was live. You know what no, I mean? No, it didn't. No, that's why I was like, ooh. And that's when I promise, oh my God, they did make a joke about this. Like cinematography, like you hear it all the time and you don't know what it is. But I was yeah. thinking about that. Like, how are things filmed like that? Like how is it like how is it different? Right. You know what it's, I mean? Yeah, like the size of the shots, like the the width that they were taking them at, like something about it felt like a like a movie, like a cinematic experience rather than a live one. And I thought that yeah. was so weird and obviously very impressive to the minds and the people behind that, how they really set a tone, how you can mm-hmm. set a visual tone with that and, and like how art is is perceived in that way you know yeah yeah. um so I loved the venue however I thought it was weird and complicated I want to circle back but without having a host the presenters were kind of scattered throughout the venue and then I thought it was weird that people had to kind of like crane their neck to turn around and look at the person who was talking about them and presenting their award like it was awkward because people were looking in different directions at the presenter announcing them. And then also yeah. some people didn't get their envelopes because like they didn't, I don't know, there was, but I don't know, contact tracing and all that stuff. I, I don't know. Something about that, the setup and the layout of the venue was like not ideal for me, but I thought it was beautiful and it did pair well with the art direction they went in. Yeah. And we did talk about how, you know, one thing we like about the Oscars, especially when it comes to something like visual effects or um, cinematography, hair and makeup, music, uh, when you have those clips that they when they're announcing each nominee, uh, you know, that's kind of a grandioso part of the Oscars. And there was a little bit of miss for that, I think, maybe more on your part than my part. Um, and I get a little bit of the awkwardness of like kind of people having to turn and, and not all that jazz. But I mean, once you got a feeling for the space and how intimate it was, I don't yeah. know, it, it really didn't bother me that much. Didn't um, bother you. <laughs> it didn't. But maybe I just will say, like, don't get me wrong, like, I love award season, but I think I maybe am just a little bit burnt out. And I just really don't. Oh, totally. not. I don't really like care that much anymore. <laughs> I don't At know. At this point, and, and to your point earlier about being kind of hypocritical, like, it's so like we're just watching a bunch of you know pretty people get dressed up to a certain extent. There are, there are a lot of amazing creators, and which I, I like, which I love, and like I, yeah. I acknowledge and like the importance and the impact of like award season. Like it definitely carries a lot of of clout, and it's stupid to say that it doesn't otherwise, and that it's just silly and not important because it's just it's not accurate. That's not how that industry works. Yeah, um, but. Um, I think them not going all out with kind of other like snippets or like visual tools just mm-hmm. kind of honed in on the feeling of it being more small. And in a way, yeah. I think that was a conscious decision to probably make people feel more comfortable that this was a more small event because mm-hmm. like the more other kind of outside elements you bring in, the bigger that it's going to feel. And yeah. I think they were really trying to not make it feel so big for people. So there wasn't that panic. Right, right. And it, it, you know, people mention this, but it's a, it's been a terrible year for many people. And there's been so much 
loss and so many different kinds of loss. And I think they're, they are right to tone it down and take a different Mm -hmm. approach. So I understand that. I think, I don't know, again, for everyone listening, this is just very conflicting on my part, but okay, Gianna, the last two things, no host. Um, I actually didn't even realize until I was talking to our mom this morning that there wasn't a host. Wait, what? Yeah, there was no host. Yeah, I know. What do you mean you didn't know? I just, I didn't occur to me. You didn't, didn't, there was a whole joke with Jimmy Kimmel that was like, oh, I host, hosted yeah, and there's no host this year. I heard that on a commercial during one of the breaks, but for some reason it just didn't really click in my head until this morning. I was like, oh, I guess there, there wasn't a host. But again, that goes back to the very brunchy feel, like everyone is participating in this. It's not like, it felt like they're like <laughs> a philanthropic event. event. Like I'm raising money for my child's school. Like, ah, yes. yeah. <laughs> like a PTA meeting, like a fancy PTA, like big little lies. Big type. little lies. Yeah. <laughs> Which with Reese Witherspoon. I can't. I'm sorry, Reese. I love Laura you, Dern, but like <laughs> okay, and Reese and Laura, I I love them so much, but both of their little speeches and Laura Dern thanking every single person after she like read their little bye. All she needed was a cardigan and a you. glass of wine, like really. <laughs> I mean, but I love her. Say, I know I love her too. I love her too, but it was just the most Laura Dern thing she could do. Thank you know what? You. We love her for it. We love her <laughs> we for love it. We love her for it. We love her for it. But so, like, okay, you know, you do that, your sister. Yeah. No, that leads into my last point, Gianna, is my biggest complaint, biggest complaint, whatever, <laughs> about the night was that I didn't really feel the movie magic. You know, I am a very emotional person and I cry out a lot of things that many other people wouldn't cry about. And I feel in past years, the Oscars really bring out this emotion and it shows you the power of art and the power of film and all of the amazing stories that are being told and the hard, hard work that goes into it. And I think that's also what I love about the Oscars is that it's a moment to showcase everyone off screen that we don't normally see and who is really making these movies happen. So I really missed that type of cinematic element and thinking, you know, going back to what we were saying about Laura Dern is that for the most part, whenever they were presenting awards and announcing the nominees, they talked about the person themselves and were really taking this personal biographical approach rather than showing the work that they're winning an award for. Mm-hmm. So with yeah. cost, well, like with costume and makeup design, they were highlighting the bios of those people, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, which was actually really amazing, and I really loved that. However, we're at an award show about art and film and music and performance, and I didn't get to see the work. You know, mm-hmm. when they were reading their bios, I didn't get to see the work that was produced. So. I, d- I really miss that. And I miss those kind of like movie montages that bring you the history of film and talk about why it's still relevant. So I hope that actually looking forward to the next few years, we get that back. But I don't really necessarily want to get rid of that biographical element because 
highlighting those people that don't normally get highlighted was actually really cool. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, getting, um, I mean, I think this year's Oscars, there was a lot of new things that they threw, they threw into the mix. And I hope, mm-hmm. you know, they add a little bit of that spice moving forward. Absolutely agree. And I will agree, like, don't get me wrong. Like, this was a very dry ceremony. Like, it was yeah. dry. And there wasn't a lot. I mean, don't, there was some... I mean, it was a very emotional night, and so to speak, for those people, because so much of the content that we received this year was mm-hmm. was highly emotional and uh, yeah. important and, and relevant. And but, for those um, people to have been able to work during, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that's another big part. Is we we kind of joke so much about you know celebrities and and the privilege that they have but those people who work behind the scenes and off camera rely these are these are real jobs and i mean i was just watching probably cbs because what else do i watch um (laughs) but i mean we didn't have the tonys in 2020 Mm -hmm. and um you know broadway is still very much out of business as far as the kind of performing arts go broadway and uh, performative theater have took a huge, huge hit. Mm-hmm. And those, uh, you know, working people in those industry have had a, a really, really tar- hard year. So I think just, yeah, to take an emo- a moment to, like, appreciate that, you know, mm-hmm. they were able to get through it and continue making these projects. But, yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, um, in a lot of other ways, like, it was definitely drier than it Agreed. has been in years past, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there were some heartthrobby moments. There were some good funny moments, mostly coming from most of the noteworthy acceptance speeches, other than Glenn Close's dance to Debut and showing us her music and cinema trivia knowledge. She just pulled that out of nowhere. Wait, I think it was staged. I think the Glenn Close thing was definitely planted. I mean, as I'm not trying to hate on Glenn Close. I'm here for it. And I loved it. It was like the highlight of the evening. But at the same time, I think it was staged. It was interesting how they brought in the witty banner kind of in like the third hour towards the end. I felt like it was an interesting moment to throw it into the mix. It felt like why couldn't they do it halfway? You know, like a little halftime show that would have made more sense to me. (laughs) Bathroom break at brunch. Bathroom break at brunch. (laughs) Um, But anyhow... Moving forward, uh, I wanted to recognize some of those speeches through um, the award show given because that was really where the content resided in. Um, And there was a lot of firsts last night as well. And that was a really uh, beautiful and emotional thing to listen to and Mm -hmm. to see those record-breaking speeches. So, Bianca, do you want to kick us off? Yes. Chloe Zhao, a Chinese-born filmmaker who directed Nomadland, was the first woman of Chinese descent to win for Best Director. She is also a producer of Nomadland, which won Best Picture. She is the second woman ever to win for Best Director since Catherine Bigelow, who won for The Hurt Locker in 2010. So it's been 11 years since a single woman has won this award. And when Bigelow won 11 years ago, she was the first woman ever to win that award. And the presenter, Barbara Streisand, said, the time has come before reading Bigelow's name. So congratulations, Chloe. 
I just I was thrilled to yeah. to see her take that home. And we talked about Nomadland before, but yeah. it was a really beautiful uh, film. I really liked it a lot. I love it. I'm still kind of so struck by it. And I think that Nomadland is kind of the perfect winner of Best Picture for this year. Mm-hmm. I think if we re- look at the environmental crisis, capitalism crisis we face in this country on top of COVID, I think Nomadland speaks to a lot of the kind of collective emotional feelings that we've gone through the past year. Yeah, and an interesting splice in movie and, and documentary, just with having for sure so many of those actors be real nomads and real people. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminded me a little bit of, what was the movie? Was it Boyhood? Where, yeah. you know, they it spanned like spanned, seven years or something. Yeah, kind of a really interesting way of also documenting that experience through a fictional story. Uh-huh. Um, and I mean, yeah. that was like a big deal, you know, when it came yeah. out. But um, so Maya Neal and Jamika Wilson, who worked on Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, were the first black women to win and to be nominated for hair and makeup. Astonishing, amazing women. Absolutely beautiful. I liked both their dresses. Um, <laughs> if anyone cares what I think. Uh, so Neil in her speech said... I want to say thank you to our ancestors who put the work in, were denied, but never gave up. And I also stand here as Jamaica and I break this glass ceiling with so much excitement for the future. Because I can picture black trans women standing up here and Asian sisters and our Latina sisters and indigenous women. And I know that one day it won't be unusual or groundbreaking. It'll just be normal. Mm -hmm. Uh, And because we just got to see so much of these women and really have them have their moment i did a little digging and found this article and fun fact that this uh award or this category wasn't added until uh 1981 after the 1980 drama the elephant man uh after it really wasn't recognized for its achievements made in the visual transformation of the actor created for that movie so i thought that was interesting oh yeah that's interesting see those are the movie tidbits that i like and enjoy and Mm -hmm. I feel like we didn't really get any of those little fun facts out of this year's experience so yeah thank you but congratulations to those women for that category yeah Thomas Vinterberg the director of best international feature winner another round really grabbed our attention um with a heartbreaking speech that kind of countered the the joy in his film Vinterberg dedicated the victory to his daughter, Ida, who was killed by a distracted driver shortly after production of the film began. She was 19, and she was supposed to appear in the movie. Um, He said, quote, We wanted to make a film that celebrates life, and after four days into shooting, the impossible happened. An accident on a highway took my daughter away someone looking into the cell phone and we miss her and I love her. Oh, it's just awful. Um, it's, it's a really terrible story, but Gianna, before he got into the story, which I hadn't previously known about, I did think it was weird when he started his speech with this is a story about four white men and thank you for recognizing a story about four white men I was prepared to kind of 
go off about this. And while I, I really think that was a weird way to begin his speech, and I, I don't really uh, agree with that line of thinking, I guess. I also, I don't want to, I don't want to excuse that line of thought, but I also want to recognize that I, I hope he made a, a work of art that celebrates the loss he faced. Yeah, um, I will say that I was definitely intrigued. I do want to watch this film. I haven't had yeah. the chance. I suppose I think it was just um, an ill-thought-out uh, joke. I get it, but aren't we tired way. about ill-thought-out? Yeah, no. no, exactly. That doesn't <laughs> that doesn't excuse anything. It was just more like, I don't know what the point of that was, but... Okay, and then to then right. transition into, you know, this horrible tragedy, I was like, whoa. <laughs> um, I know. It's just something I didn't want to, I didn't want to excuse just because of the story. Mm -hmm. But I think, again, that's how we navigate these types of conversations, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we also had Best Original Score, Go to Soul, shout out to my favorite John Baptiste. Um, and I know, so... Just a precious, precious man. And her one with original song. Also, her is just another one of those people that I was so happy to see get, like, glammed up. But, of course, she's always in glam. So, I don't know. I just, I love her. And uh, I like how she matched. Like, she was wearing that, like, Yes, it, it totally she, like, matched the backdrop. Yeah, I know. And, like, she <laughs> knew. She asked. She was like, what color are those drapes? Like... <laughs> Well, I also just thought it was so cute, like Zendaya behind her. Zendaya oh my god, was, like, I know. jumping up and down, and that like I just thought that was like a cute moment. I was like happy to see some interactions. And, I know, yeah, it was adorable. I was glad Zendaya was there. I'm always glad when she just pops up. So, so moving into the night, we had Daniel Kaluuya who took home his first uh, Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for. Uh, his portrayal in Judas and the Black Messiah and his speech maybe wasn't even the funny part as it was so much his mother's reaction she oh, was like what are you gosh. saying that was just so randomly thrown in there <laughs> the thing my parents had I sex. mean it was fun <laughs> like he was having the time of his life yes. and we love to see that and so happy for him I think he was just on a high and whatever oh, yeah. was coming out of his mouth was coming out and oh, you know I totally get it I also wanted to say I just also Daniel Kaluuya had the best kind of banter of the night as well when they were talking about get out when they were doing the trivia game right before oh, Glenn yeah. Close. I just thought it was so funny when he was talking about like I'm not gonna go for another white woman like that like, I know so funny and then we had Yeok Jung Yoon, who won Best Supporting Actress for her portrayal as a grandmother in Minari, making her first, <clears throat> making her the first Korean actress to win in this category. Uh, her speech was everything. Uh, I can't. Minari was uh, filmed in Oklahoma, and Brad Pitt, who is from Shawnee, was a producer for the movie and got to announce the winner for this award. And butchered her name just a tiny bit. But uh, she was finally just, like, really happy to finally meet him, which I thought was so cute. And their interaction was just darling, I thought. I'm In obsessed. a way that he's just, I like, think... the whitest boy ever. And we love it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that they should co-host the Oscars together next oh year. Could gosh. you imagine? That's so cute. Oh, my 
gosh. Um, I don't know, but you can just tell she has a very witty and sharp uh, personality, and she's a very sharp person, yes. and her speech really reflected her tongue-in-cheek humor. And, um, you know, even pointed out some of the hypocrisies of, of the event and the culture around it. Was it was perfect. It was so perfect. I know, just a little bit spice. Um, but her nomination carried a lot of weight for her personally, of course, but more so the influence she was carrying for North Korea. Um, she did an interview with NPR that I listened to where she said in this process, she felt like she was less of an actress, but more of a, uh, you know, competing for the Olympics uh, for mm-hmm. her country, which really put things into perspective about the global impact of awards such as this. So again, not to drudge up the Golden Globes again, but just another reason why jokes about the silliness of elitism in this industry doesn't really sit well with me. Because of the pressures Yoon has felt during this award season, I think it was also worth just acknowledging uh, just as much as what it meant to her to have actually won the award, especially for a person who also stated in her speech that she didn't really believe in competition. Mm-hmm. I can, yeah, I don't think there's ever been a more perfect award speech. I think acknowledging the position that you're in, but also recognizing the weight that it carries. She just she articulated that in such a fantastic way. And I think that's the way we think a lot. You know, you and I think about the art world and and movies so much. I mean, I, I think that the duality she expressed was mm-hmm. chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. Watching her uh, and looking up photos of her later taking pictures with uh, Francis McDormand was everything. Because what two personalities they make! Like, oh, you want to talk dynamic about a spicy? Di- you want spicy uh, award show? Brunch? You want to go to brunch with those two? I would love to go to brunch with those two. It would just be talking shit all morning. I love oh, it. God, that'd be great. We just don't want to leave out that there are other important things that the Oscars do. So the Brian Cranston segment I thought was actually cool. I liked that they were at the Dolby Theater where the Oscars usually take place. Uh, but again, the workers they brought in from the Motion Picture and Television Fund, which was the first time ever the Humanitarian Award went to an organization. Um, so that that was really important, and I just didn't want to overlook it. And I... That's a that was a big part of the award show that I really liked, where they dove into the history of film and television and cinema, and I think that the approach they took to really showing you the the work that goes into those movies as well, and how again, like Gianna, you and I were just talking about, these are real life paying jobs that that people have, and during a crisis, will need help with. So I was I was really happy to see that acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. And then we had Tyler Perry, who accepted the Jean Herschel Humanitarian Award, presented by the one and only Viola Davis. If you have kept up with everything Tyler Perry has done, this wouldn't come as much of a surprise, you know, other than building a media mogul, directing, acting, producing. Uh, there's hardly a moment in his life that, um, you know, hasn't gone towards helping other people. Mm-hmm. As he mentioned in his speech, that was something that was very much instilled in him from the kind of person who his mother was. Um, to quote his speech, my mother taught me to refuse hate. She taught me to refuse blanket judgment. 
I refuse to hate someone because they are Mexican or because they are black or white or LGBTQ. I refuse to hate someone because they are a police officer. I refuse to hate someone because they are Asian. To anyone who wants to stand in the middle, no matter what's around the walls, stand in the middle because that's where healing happens. That's where conversation happens. That's where change happens. So this goes without saying that he's an absolute beautiful human being. Of course, he's being recognized for his humanitarian efforts, you know, for helping to shape the industry and make it better and his impact of empowering and employing uh, people in Hollywood and predominantly black people and workers. But whether he was buying people groceries in the pandemic or housing mm-hmm. Meghan Markle and Prince Harry <laughs> and, um, you know, seeking opportunity to help people whenever he can, this award was very well deserved. So the last thing we're going to talk about today is kind of the end of the award show, which was another very strange uh, thing and that goes into the the layout of that the awards normally have and you and I Gianna actually got into this when we were talking about the Golden Globes because of the case of Minari where you know they weren't nominated for best picture because they were quote-unquote a foreign language film so normally the Oscars kind of showcase best director towards the end of the night with best actor actress and motion picture but Chloe Zhao was one of the first awards of the night to kind of get called. So they are already rearranging the layout of the award show, which, as we talked about previously, I kind of enjoyed because, it again, it, it doesn't set this hierarchy that one position is worth more than the other. But I do kind of think that best picture it makes sense to have it be the the last award of the night. It's um, a good way to kick things off because you have a big group that's flooding to the stage. Right. And, it's a great send-off. And it's less about, like, you know, when you have, like, best actor or best actress, those are obviously really important categories. But, you know, at the end of the day, that's, like, about the movie and everybody involved in that. It feels like a very holistic way to end a show like this. Right. So that didn't happen last night. <laughs> and uh, we had best motion picture again land at Nomadland, and Frances McDormand also won for best actress, uh, which was fabulous. But then they saved best actor for the last category of the night. And There are theories, and I I was talking again with our mom about this today, that it was kind of confirmed by someone, I think, at E.T., who said that they saved this category for the last because they, I guess, the production team and the network thought that Chadwick Boseman would win for Best Actor. However, that did not happen, and Anthony Hopkins won for Best Actor, and he wasn't even there, which I don't blame him because he's an 83-year-old man in a non-maskless COVID scenario. And it was the weirdest way to close out the weirdest Oscar presentation. I mean, so Gianna, what did you think? I just... I feel like that's not the risk that I would have taken because if they well, didn't know that he wasn't going to... No, then that's what I what I don't get is, I guess maybe I'm wrong in presuming that the Oscars aren't as like secretive as maybe they are, but could, could the network 
have not been like, hey, so I think we, I want to do this. I want to end it this way. And then could the folks at the academy be like, nah, that's not right. a good idea. <laughs> right. Because here's the thing. They, that little weird, like Alexa presenter voice made a joke early in the night. Like we are on time. And there's always a joke that whatever the Oscars go along or whatever, but they were already overtime. So I think it was like 1115 Eastern time and clearly they were overtime. So let's just say Chadwick had one. Was there like a montage ready to go? What was going to be the kind of speech that the show mm -hmm. ended on? Because they were already going over time. And in the in memoriam section, which is another thing that I'm yep. pissed about. Yep, I was going to say. I, yep. I was livid that I couldn't even read the names of the people they were trying to memorialize. The music yet they was spent so... like 10 seconds on Chadwick Boseman. I'm not saying he's not deserving of that, but so is every single person who that died. You showcase. And also a lot of Don't people just, died because of COVID. Yeah. Don't just breeze by everybody and then save 10 seconds for Chadwick at the very end and then have this weird setup for her, him to win. It, the whole thing just made me mad. It was odd. Um, it was weird that the music was, it felt like at some points also like speeding up. And like, I didn't know if that was like ABC or like the production, like speeding things up because they were going over time. But yeah, it, it was definitely like super weird. So yeah, it's like, what were you going to do? Have like a photo montage of like just Chadwick Boseman at the end? Like that would have been lovely, but also all those people that died, especially those folks who died because of the pandemic, like also, right. um, you know, deserve their recognition as well. So it was definitely, I mean, I think lesson learned to ABC. I like, so. let's just not... What? Don't broke it. You don't broke it. Don't fix it if it's not broke. <laughs> <laughs> don't broke. It. Don't broke it. Don't broke it even more. <laughs> Throw me in the trash because I am apparently broken. I can't talk. <laughs> no, I just. I, I don't know. Also, if that was the thing you were going for, even if he didn't win, maybe if he wanted to say some nice words. I'm just I'm confused have a plan. about the whole thing. Have a plan. Obviously, have a plan. Have a plan because then Questlove at the end was like, "Well, thanks for tuning in." Well, yeah, <laughs> and I guess it also just makes me like uncomfortable that you think, like I don't know, like maybe like ending the night, like your big hurrah, like you're in a way like you know banking on this beloved person who is now deceased. Right. Like, don't capitalize on on a terrible moment for his family and loved ones it just for such a young person to die from such a horrible disease like and to I don't you know like we have such a personal relationship with cancer like in our family so it just mm -hmm. is every situation is different but it just also hits close to home it just is uncomfortable right yeah, yeah. I yeah. I definitely agree um so again, what an episode to end on. We're just going to pull an Oscars here and close know, out. But that's, that's not on us, you know? That's on ABC, man. I just don't understand why there couldn't be communication. I think it's okay to divulge some information. But, you know, like I said, we shall find out what happens, you know, this year, this time next year, I suppose. I'm on the edge of my seat. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? I'm... I'm totally fine with taking a break from 
freaking <laughs> these damn COVID award shows. Yeah. Uh, hopefully the next event that we're recapping is the Met Gala, and I hope that it's lovely and eventful. <laughs> you know, maybe that's a brunch I would attend. It's like a toned-down Met Gala. <laughs> That feels more appropriate for some reason than a brunchy Oscars. Yeah, it's because the gala is like a benefit. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's a philanthropic effort. Yes. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) Thank you all again for the past year of Art Pop Talk. It really has been so fun. And cheers cheers to many more. So again... Um, if you have the means, please donate to our Buy Me a Coffee account. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends, and follow us on all of the social media platforms. And with that, we will talk to you on Tuesday. Bye, everyone. Bye. Art Pop Talk's production assistant is Audrey Kaminsky. Music and sounds by Josh Turner. Photography is by Adrian Turner. And our graphic designer is Sid Hammond.